0: Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. The theme for our message is the trials of a king. And when we're talking about the trials of a king, we're not talking necessarily about uh, going to court but rather the, the difficult things that a king has to deal with. And now as I was going through this it, it, and, and starting to think about these trials of a king, a lot of us, including myself, can have a bad attitude when it comes to other people's trials and, and things that other people have to go through. Are you like me? When, when someone is talking to you and complaining about money, and you know they make more money than you do? Doesn't it bug you? Don't you just go, seriously? You're complaining to me about money? And, and you know they know that they make more than you do. And it's like, come on, dude, really? I don't, I don't need to hear this. And that is why sometimes when I hear people who have won the lottery complain and they say things like, man, I wish we would have never won the lottery. I'm like, that's easy. Just give me the money and pretend you didn't. You know, why don't, why don't you do that? Give the money away and it won't be a problem. So I, I find this where I don't always have sympathy with them because deep down what I think is, I think they have it easier than me because they have more money than me. But I went and, and I, I did a, a little research. Did you know that since the Powerball started, the Powerball jackpot started, of all the winners that have won over a million dollars. So every Powerball winner who has won over a million dollars, 70% of them are broke. They have no money whatsoever. That's crazy. Another one I was reading about, Jim Whitaker is his name specifically, he won on a single ticket $315 million in the Powerball, and he took the lump sum payment for it. Within four years, Jim Whitaker declared bankruptcy. And when interviewed about it and and losing the money, he said, the money doesn't bother me at all. But what I really regret is the money that I gave to my granddaughter that she used to buy cocaine and overdosed and died because of it. Those are the trials of someone who wins the lottery. And they're tough. They're different from maybe what we have to go through, but that doesn't mean they're easy. How about other people that you are jealous of? Other people that you wish you had their problems and you wish you were like them? Like maybe someone who plays in the NFL. If you play in the NFL for four years, whatever position, if you play on an NFL team for four years, As a male, your life expectancy drops immediately by 20 years. The average man lives to be 75. The average NFL player lives to be 55. In the NFL, for those who have played at least four years and then have retired for two years, 80% of them are bankrupt. For those who have played in the NFL and are 40 years old or older, which means they don't have much longer to live, 9 out of 10 of them are on pain medications that they say are necessary in order for them to get out of bed on a regular basis. That's crazy. I mean, when when I read that, do you say, do you really want your kid to play in the NFL? Is it really the dream to go through on a college scholarship and then have an NFL career? It's brutal. They, they have to go things that, that it's a part that we don't see. Or maybe it's celebrity. Maybe it's uh, Hollywood and, and those who want to make it big in Hollywood. I mean, how many names do we have to read? Kurt Cobain, Heath Ledger, River Phoenix, Selena, the Notorious B.I.G., Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, Princess Diana, Jim Belushi, John Candy, Jimi Hendrix, Janice Joplin, Jim Morrison, Otis Redding, Chris Farley. That was on one page. That was was a one Google search, people who died too soon. All of those people, some with drug-related overdose, some with suicide, who were their own worst enemy. That got what we all want, supposedly, all this popularity and all the success they couldn't handle it. They imploded. They, they self-destructed. That's what we're talking about today when we talk about the trials of a king. The trials of being blessed by God in this world so much that it's not that we can't handle the difficulties of life and, and the struggles of life, but what we really can't handle is the success that God gives and everything that comes along with it. So we are going to see that when we look at the trials of a king, they're the exact same as the trials of each one of us, except magnified. And sometimes in our lives, they're magnified as well. But we will see even in these trials, there is definitely hope. We go to our lesson, and this is in 2 Samuel as we're talking About David. This is David after he has taken care of the sheep. This is David after he has beaten Goliath. This is David after he served Saul faithfully for 15 to 20 years. This is now David the king having uh, defeated so many enemies and now he's firmly established in his kingship. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Hopefully those words sound a little strange. I'm going to read them again. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Hold it. David's the king. And if this is the time when kings go off to war with their army... That tells me that David should have been with his army, and if he would have been with his army, none of this would have even happened. I want you to think about that because as we look at this we 're talking really about temptation and and some of the things we 're talking about temptation have nothing to do with sin and forgiveness they really have to do with common sense and and, and making decisions and, and putting yourself in in positions where you are going to keep sin at an arm's length. Again, I, am I the only one who, when you read the newspaper and you find out about the guy who, uh, from the NFL or the NBA or whatever it is, who's arrested at 3.30 in the morning outside a gentleman's club, that you read the, the newspaper and you go, going, he, what an idiot. I mean, if, if being dumb was against the law, this guy would be in for life. That you're just like, what are? When's the last time I was up at three thirty in the morning, and and let alone there. And so you look at that and you're saying, just make smart choices on first of all where you go. Continues though, Second like Samuel eleven verse two. The next verse, one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So now you have this situation where David, David's a man of action. He always has been. He was always busy, always working, You know, always used to the shepherding, used to the soldier. And because of that, I'm sure he was a light sleeper. He was always ready for whatever was going to happen. And so now it's a late night and he wakes up, maybe thinking about what's going on with the army. Whatever it was, the, the trials of a king the things that are on his mind, he woke up. And as he woke up, he's walking around the palace, you know, whatever, then goes, I might as well go up on the roof, get some fresh air, and there we go. Is my grandmother the only one who ever said idle hands are the devil's playground? I mean, really, that, that David, more than anything else, was bored. And I want you to think about that when you're bored, when you are not doing the things that you are supposed to be doing, and when boredom comes and you try to entertain yourself, I want you to understand where that goes. High school kids out in the field have nothing to do. I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, my older brother maybe could go get us some beer. Awesome, sounds great. Why does it happen? Because they don't have anything better to do. And so with, with David, he walked around and, and he's looking out of the palace. But in my castle and in your castle, you probably do something different. If this was today, it would say, so David sat down and opened up his laptop and went to Google. And he went, first of all, to ESPN.com. And then on the side, it said, meet singles in your area. And so he was wondering, huh, I wonder what happens when you, when you click that. Hmm, so David put his profile in. Whatever. Either way, that, that is the way with boredom and how we are led into this today. That is the way that temptation works. Your heart tends to follow your eyes. That as your eyes look, your heart follows. Which is why, especially with the internet, there is all of that advertising. Because it works. In hindsight, David, who wrote the first psalm, gave some very practical advice for dealing with temptation. He said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners and who doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. And I love that psalm because really what it shows is something for us with temptation. And, and it says, first of all, you don't want to be walking there. You don't want to be standing there. You don't want to be sitting there. And it makes me think of, of a time a number of years ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago in the in the city where we were living. It's a, it's a small uh, residential type neighborhood and during the 4th of July it's like the neighborhood decided to recreate every American war I think because the the number of fireworks and and uh, firecrackers and 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 all of these different things that were going on and half of them were illegal if not more you could hear the and then you later you would hear the uh, the firework go off so these are illegal right so what happens with my kids? My kids are young. They're like 10 years old, 10, 8, and 6 years old. They hear these going off. So what do they do? They hop on their bike. Mm, let's go see where the fireworks are coming from. Next thing you know, they're, they're walking in that pass of the wicked. Next thing you know, they're at the end of the driveway where they're firing them off. Cool, man. And then after they're there for a while, of course, the the person that's lighting them says, hey, do you want to light one? Yeah, that would be awesome. So he goes and he gets the match and that's about the time the cop rolls by. (laughs) What are you guys doing? You realize these are illegal fireworks? (sighs) Kids freaking out, you know, afraid they're going to get arrested. And why? They didn't just stay at home. They didn't just... Stay away from the temptation. And so this first part, again, is practical and, and this truth. I, I'll say it this way. Someone told me this, and that is, you can wander into temptation, but you never just wander out. And so it is, be purposeful uh, in, in building walls that insulate you from temptation. That's the first one, is the trial of Temptation. David had it, and we have it as well. So he goes into this temptation. You know, all this is around him. And then in 2 Samuel 11, verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. So he saw Bathsheba. She came to him and slept with her. He slept with her. As I read this, the thing that struck me about this is that David. this is written like me telling one of my kids to go get a hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars. Here's five bucks, go get me, go get me the pizza. And the kid's like, all right, no problem, come back. That how do you as the king, I can't imagine how this works where you say, you know what, I saw this you know, Bathsheba over there. Why don't you guys go get her for me? Tell her the king, king uh, wants her and bring her back to me. It is so matter-of-fact that it's mind-blowing. And it shows one of the trials of the king, and that is the trial that David could have whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and no one would question it. And we see it not only there, but after David went, remember, and he did sleep with her, and then she was pregnant, and then he called for Uriah to come back. And, and Uriah showed himself to be a, a great friend and a loyal servant by not even going home and not spending time with his wife because he was concerned about the troops and because of his loyalty to David. That after all of that happened, you think it might have finally made David think, you know what, I just got to come clean with him. Uh, He's been such a good friend, I need to be a friend back. But instead, what does he do? 2 Samuel 11, 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He gave him a letter. He trusted him so much that he gave him a letter to take to Joab that in essence was telling Joab to kill him. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down And die. We're going to skip the passage for a moment, but you can write in the blank that the trial here is is the trial of power. Trial of power. Being able to do whatever you want. Sounds like something you like and something we look forward to, but it's not. It is not a gift. And so this is the thing. This is the way that David was. Because David had power, David had had power much of his life. But when he was back and he was with the flock, he understood the purpose for his power. That when David was a shepherd, he understood that he was strong and sheep were weak, which meant he was the one who was going to protect them. Which means when the shepherd or or when the, the wolf came or when the bear came, the shepherd, he was the one who would use his power to defeat the enemy. And so it was when it was time with Goliath that that David had power, the power of the Lord God, and he recognized it. So that when someone was uh, not only insulting God, but also the nation of God, that, that David said, you know what I need to do? I need to use the power that God has given me to go and defeat him, and he did. And then during the time of Saul, Saul was the king. David knew he wasn't, but David was given power, power from God. And so what he did is he used it to serve his king, and he used it to serve his country. But now David had become the king. And now he had ultimate power. And something in David's heart changed. Because instead of serving the weakest, instead of going after those who were abusing their power to hurt others, David began to abuse his power. And he hurt Bathsheba. And he hurt Uriah. And unknowingly, He hurt everyone in his kingdom by the actions that he committed. It stands in contrast so much from Jesus Christ. Because when you think of of Jesus, Jesus when we look at him because he was so gentle and because he was so loving and because he cared about people, that one of the things that we forget is he had a power that was even greater than David's, that he had the power, he was true God. And so in, in the book of Philippians, where, where Paul was writing a letter to the church at a city called Philippi, he explained what Jesus' attitude was like and, and he also explained what he wants from us when he said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God, that power, something to be held on to, something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He was found in appearance as a man and, and as a servant. And so what he did was he became obedient unto death, even death On a cross. That's who your king is. That's who my king is. He's not only our king, but he's our savior. And he shows us how to use the power that God has given us. And so the next passage, I know you're not the king, okay? I get that. But what you need to understand and what I need to understand is that each one of us has been given power. Matthew 19 verse 24 says, "Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God." Again, there's nothing wrong with money, and there's nothing wrong with having lots of money. But as we look at this, when it says, "It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, than someone with power to enter the kingdom of heaven." And the reason why is because when you get that type of power, you get in a power struggle with God. And it's so easy to use that power to serve yourself and make you think that you don't even need God. So my question to you is, what is your power? Parents, you have power. You have power over your kids. How do you use it? Serve it, use that power to serve them, love them, model for them? I hope so. I've seen this in high school. I've seen this in kids. I've seen this for years where you want to see big guys, guys that are in high school, 6'2", 240 pounds. Do you want to see them on their knees? Do you want to see them crying? Watch a pretty girl break their heart. Unbelievable. Do you have that, that that power of beauty? Do you have the power of money? Do you have the power of popularity? Do you have the power of the pulpit? question is, what is your power and how are you using it? Or, are you someone who doesn't feel like you're popular? And are you someone who doesn't feel like you're beautiful or big or strong. And so what you do is you resent those who do, that you're not able to understand the trials that they go through and the temptations they have that are different from the temptations that you have. Either way, these are the trials that God has put in front of us. And so in the blank, if you haven't already put it, the trial of power. And it was one that David had so difficult because he had so much of it. And then what happened? Second Samuel eleven twenty six 26 and 27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. We got away with it. You know, all of this, Bathsheba, I didn't know how this was going to work, but we orchestrated it. And now, not only are you able to come and be my wife but I come out smelling like roses because your husband dies in battle. It dies a hero. You're now the, the wife of a hero. And when I bring you in the palace, everyone is going to say, David's such a good guy. Look how he takes care of those who give his life for him. She's going to be set for life. And even that, that child that he has with her, the, the child that Uriah's son that's not born yet, he's going to take care of that baby too. God, David, you're awesome. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish the verse. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Great. You ever been in that position before? Congratulations, you got everything you wanted. You sinned to do it. You've left other people in your wake. You have hurt people. You have broken relationships. You have trashed reputations. But you've gotten what you wanted. Now, the only thing you have to do is live with yourself and live with God. And David gives us a little window into that when he says in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. For David, it was difficult. Because even though that he thought he had gotten away with it, he did get away with it, that it was killing him inside. That guilt was eating a hole through his heart. And he didn't have anyone to go and confess to and to admit the wrong that he had done. So he just continued to hold it. And, And we know what that's like. The heat of summer, walk outside for a while. You tell me how long you can stand outside. Not any shade, not any wind blowing. Just stand being constantly bombarded by the sun until you say enough already. I can't handle it anymore. And that's what David or God was doing on David's heart. It's what he does for anyone who doesn't confess the guilt of their sin. It will kill you. The next one, Psalm 51. This is what David wrote at this time when he said, for I know my transgressions, I know the wrongs, And my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I don't know if you remember, I'm going to ask you to go back a couple chapters earlier, a couple books earlier in the Bible to Joseph. And if you remember Joseph, there was a time, it was 500 years earlier, when Joseph was approached by Potiphar's wife and, and she wanted to commit a sexual sin as well. And David's response to her, or excuse me, Joseph's response to her was profound when he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Oh wait, he didn't say that. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against you? No, he didn't say that either, did he? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And that was the, the disconnect that David had in his life. That he felt that he could be doing all of these different things and, and, and so fine. He was the king. So Uriah, it's not that big, big, big a deal. And he did sin against Uriah and he did sin against Bathsheba and he did sin against the, the kingdom. But ultimately what he realized here, what, what finally brought him back was when this sin... More than anything else, was a sin against God. And so is every sin I commit, and so is every sin that you commit as well. Ultimately, others are hurt by your sins, but the sins are against God. And something we need to come to grips with. I really appreciate if you haven't read this in the story. I, I encourage you to do this. Or what you can do is, is this, is I ask you to read Second Samuel. Uh, you can read like chapters 11 and 12. And then go and read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And the reason why I ask you to do that is it's a very rare time in, in the Bible where not only does someone do something, but David gives us a window into his heart with the psalms, because he wrote this psalm at the time when he was going through all of this. And, and so David shows what, what it's like uh, when he was living in sin and maybe kind of what his thought process was. And because of this, what I do at times, when I talk with people who have sinned and they, they come and they're confessing their sin to me and they're forgiven, that, that after they have a while to enjoy God's forgiveness, one of the questions I ask them is, what were you thinking? I mean, really, what was your thought process that you were going through? And another way I ask it is, if you had to, if you today had to talk to yourself, to you back then, what would you have said to get yourself out of it? To, to say, wake up, you're, you're screwing up your life. And usually the answer I get is, I don't know if I would have listened to myself. I, I, I would have probably said, you're old and you're dumb and, and wouldn't listen to me. But one thing that a guy told me once that has just really, really helped me understand this more, and I hope it, ring, it rings true in my heart, and I hope it does in yours. And, and what he said to me is when he was living in that sin, he said, you get to be a really good liar because the first thing you do every day is get up and look in the mirror and lie to yourself that you tell yourself that something that God has made very clear is, is hurtful and harmful to you, that, it, that it's not bad. And he used the example with me that he said I, he used to smoke. And he said every day as I pick up the pack of cigarettes and put it into my mouth that I have to tell myself this isn't hurting me, that this is, this is something that actually what I get out of this isn't as bad as, as what it's putting into me. And he said it, and that's how he shared with me that he stopped smoking, is the one day when he finally said, I'm not going to lie to myself. We're addicted, and the line has to stop. And so we have this trial, this trial of fighting with God. But our God is a God of grace, and our God is a God of mercy. And if David would have sent himself back to talk to himself, maybe he wouldn't have listened. But what God did was something even better, and that is He sent someone that David respected and trusted, and he would listen to. First Samuel twelve verse one: The Lord sent Nathan to David. That first act of love by the God in this in this account, where He's finally going to bring David back. And Nathan did it in love. David understood Nathan, or Nathan understood David. Okay. And so in a way that only Nathan could, this is such a great, I love this thing because as what, what Nathan does is he takes David out of the castle where he's, I'm sure he's going through all this stress of being the, the king and all these things going on besides the fact that his personal life is imploding and he takes him back to a happy place. And that happy place was back to when he was a shepherd. Probably David would have said, those were the best days of my life. It was clear who the bad guys were and the good guys were and what my role was. And and so as he's telling the story, I can appreciate it too, because I grew up on a hobby farm and the, the neighbor next to us had like an actual farm and they milked probably 40, 50 head of cattle. And so what would happen is this would happen almost every year is that there would be a calf that would be born that for some reason or another would not be able to nurse from its mother. And so what would happen is those calves always needed to be uh, hand-fed. And of course, we were kids, man, we were all over that because they had these little bottles that you would take with the calf. And 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 so these calves, the the ones that you would feed like that, when when you would walk in the barn they would come running they were like they they were like pets and and if you have a pet you know exactly what i'm talking about that they're like part of the family and that's what nathan is telling when he's telling the story about a man who had this this lamb that i guarantee you david thought of a specific lamb from when he was a shepherd it would have been a runt of a litter the one that's not going to live and David's like, you know what, this is the one I'm going to take care of, and that's the special one, and you name it, and it's, your, it's just the closest one to you. And so as Nathan's telling this story, and he finally gets back to David's heart of love and care and concern, and again, back to his mindset of protecting the, using his power to protect the weak, that now he puts it in this context and says, oh, and the rancher next door, by the way, had all of these lambs, comes and kills your pet, your, your favorite lamb, your pet lamb, the one you've been protecting. And David flips out. I mean, he's just like going bonkers. And, you know, the man who did this, you know, he's got to pay for this four times over. And, and David's hot. I mean, he's just so mad. And then Nathan just drops the hammer. You are the man. And at that moment, David knew exactly what Nathan was talking about. Then David got, I'm sorry. um, Then David said to Nathan, uh, I'm sorry. Go back. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. For goodness sakes, he killed the lamb. He must die. Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then the next one right away, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Finally, David, you got it. You sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. It's the verdict of mercy. From your own mouth, David, you have said what you deserve, and that is to die. But instead of that death, you are going to receive life. You are going to be forgiven. And, and it's this, that, that as I encourage you, if, if you go through this week, read Psalm 51 and put a little bookmark there or bend the page. Because Psalm 51 is such a good one to go back to again and again. Because it's one about confessing sin. But it's also one about being restored when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of salvation and grant a willing spirit within me. That, that you see David crossing from death to life. David going from the hot patio into the air conditioning where God is. And, and finally laying down this load of sin. telling you, I haven't uh, washed my hair in a long time. haven't needed to. But we still have shampoo in the, in the shower. It's for my wife. And sometimes, because I have extra time in the shower, I read, do, do a little reading, read the shampoo bottle. And, and on there it says, lather, rinse, repeat. Now I'm going to suggest to you that if you are someone here that David's story resonates with, And you can look back to the specific sin in your life that has caused you so much grief and so much pain and that it is right there and it's like a scab that gets picked again and again. That with the blood of Jesus Christ and the promises of forgiveness in him, you need to lather, rinse, and repeat. And that's finally at the end of the day why we come back here again and again to hear something you can't hear too much and that is that you are loved by your Lord, that you are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And no matter what you have done, no matter what kind of mess you have made of your life, even if you're going through the trials of a king, and because of that, so many people were hurt as a result, there is forgiveness for you. Enjoy this this same peace that David did. But then, finally, then there, there's the wrap-up. And, I, and I'm, I'm, unfortunately, and I was talking to someone in this about the four church today. First Samuel 12, verse 25 does not say, and they lived happily ever after. Because even though that, that he was forgiven, there was still some pain. And we see the first part. But because you are doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you is going to die. And that son did die. And when you hear this, chances are you're just going, are you kidding me? God God has gone insane. David commits a sin so he kills a baby? Really? I mean, that's that's craziness. And as you try to get your arms around this, which I did too because it doesn't make sense to me. I I thought of a a funeral that I did a month or so ago. And it was a, a gentleman who had cancer and he died even before his time. They weren't expecting him to die. And, and I was dealing with the family and they were crying and they were pretty upset about it. And, um, and, and the daughter came to me and she said, you know, I'm crying and I'm really sad. But I'm not sad for him because he's in a better place right now. He's, he's in heaven. This is, I'm crying for myself because I miss him and, and I'm not going to see him anymore. And I want you to take that same truth. It's easier to, It's maybe a little bit easier to see with someone we know is hurting and dying of cancer that they're going to go be with the Lord. But this little baby, let's be clear, was not punished. This was a, this was a young child who was not going to have to go through the trials of a king, was not going to have to go through the trials of temptation. That this world brings a trial of power and what it was like to grow up, a difficult life in the palace. But this was a child that was taken immediately to the palace of the king in heaven. And the hurt that came as a result came first and foremost to David and Bathsheba. Realizing what they'd done, that the worst thing in our, in our hearts as parents that can happen is that. So again, as we look at this, understand that that as we stand, understand this consequence of sin, David is forgiven completely. Bathsheba is forgiven completely. And out of love, God sends a, a consequence like this. And how does David respond? And then David got up from the ground after he found out the baby had died. After he had washed, put on motions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house, house of the Lord and worshiped. Are you kidding me? And so, Dick. I mean, how much strength does that take and restoration for David after all of this is over to go back and worship? It's amazing. And for us, too, to do as well, that having been forgiven by Christ, even when there are consequences and hardship in life, this is where you need to be, coming back to the house of the Lord and worshiping for his greatness. And then the final verse, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the best part, the Lord loved him. No grudges over the past. No sticking it to David and Bathsheba for the rest of their life. But the Lord loved him. The Lord Solomon loved Solomon. The Lord loved them. Let's face it, the Lord loves you too. Loves you so much. David needed to go through life and we're not going to cover all of Absalom and everything like that, but it was a scab that would be picked the rest of David's life, which took him back to the cross again and again, took him back to his God where there was forgiveness. And the same is going to happen with you as well. Leave here today knowing you're forgiven, but understand that life is still tough. I get it. I understand that going day to day sometimes is a challenge, but don't go alone. Go with the strength to carry on. And that is the strength given by God alone. Our memory verse uh, as we, we head out today is from 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for all the wonderful gifts that, you, gifts that you give us in Christ Jesus. And, and there's a reality that through life we go through the trials of a king, uh, that we have the temptation. There are times when we are in positions of power and we abuse it. But, Lord, we know that, that you come to us with a verdict of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And so help us to drink in that forgiveness. Help us to, to look back at, at the wrongs that we have done, the hurt that we have caused, and confess these sins to you. And, and Lord, we thank you now that we are able to go forward with you with us every step of the way. Please guide us and protect us for Jesus' sake. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. So, before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. And now, as you go today, go with the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Go in the Lord's peace and please take a moment to say hello to those, greet those people sitting next to you, uh, especially visitors. Again, thanks for coming today and have a great day.